Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. Week 6 is officially in the books, and along with it, one of the most exciting Red River showdowns that we've seen in recent seasons. We're live today. We were in Dallas, Texas. Now we're a little bit outside of Dallas, you know, back home. But Texas, the Texas Longhorns, are they back? They sure look like they're back. <laughs> We've got a great show today, a little quicker show, a little quicker show, our Sunday recap show. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find my work on texasfootball.com. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Follow me on Twitter at Shahan J. Raja. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF. And we'd like to give a quick thank you to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Well, let's go ahead and get started. As I mentioned, Texas and Oklahoma played an absolutely thrilling Red River showdown. This was one of the biggest that we've seen in at least half a decade. And it's been that long, 2013, since these two teams were ranked heading into the matchup at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Texas was ranked number 19 coming into the game. Oklahoma is number 7 in the country, which is why Oklahoma was favored by a good 8 points. But when you have teams like this coming together, you just don't know what's going to happen. When you get 8 points, you have to take those 8 points. And that really paid off in this one. Texas 48, Oklahoma 45. Texas freshman kicker, true freshman, Cameron Dicker, hit a long field goal, a 40-yard field goal about to hit with only nine seconds remaining in the contest that eventually ended up leading to a win. Texas 48, Oklahoma 45, it's the highest scoring game in the history of the rivalry. In fact, the highest before that was Texas 45, Oklahoma 35, that fateful, fateful game that happened 10 years ago, obviously had major national championship implications then, even though Texas ended up getting beaten out for a trip to the national title game. But man, what an absolutely crazy game. Texas did have control of this for most of the game at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, and it was, it was a tremendous crowd. This was actually my first time ever attending this game. And it's one that I couldn't help but fanboy a little bit, right? Because Texas versus Oklahoma was the game when I was growing up. And granted, you can make all your jokes you want about me being extremely young, because I am. But in the mid-2000s, there was no game better in all of college football than Texas versus Oklahoma. In the 2000s alone, I mean, again, the 2000 national champions were the Oklahoma Sooners. The 2005 national champions the Texas Longhorns. There were four national title game appearances in between these teams. Maybe five. I, I might be off on that. Actually, I think it's even more. I think it might be six, actually, uh, between the two of them. Obviously, Texas appearing in 05 and 09. Oklahoma appearing a couple times throughout the decade. You know, 2000, 2008, a couple others. So this is a really, really special game. And it's one that's been a special game for a long time. This was the 113th running of it. But again, 48-45 is the final, a three-point game. And I wrote about this on TexasFootball.com, but legends are made in this football game. It's as simple as that. People remember the Roy Williams Superman tackle that ended up leading to a pick six that ended up giving Oklahoma the game back in, I think, 2001. People still talk about Case McCoy's performance. Case McCoy didn't have a whole lot of special moments in his career, but he's going to be remembered forever because of what he did in the Red River Showdown. 
And you can write at this moment, at Cameron Dicker, the kicker who made a 40-yard field goal to win the game, to that list. And you can also add Sam Ellinger to this list. Ellinger had a fantastic game. It's really funny to see how he's changed so much over the first two years of himself as a starter. Because a year ago, he was the one making these critical interceptions, making these critical mistakes that ended up costing his team the game. This year, he's the clean one. 24 for 35, 314 yards through the air, two touchdowns, another 72 yards on the ground, three touchdowns. So he's responsible for five touchdowns, 35 of the 48 points that Texas scored, Sam Ellinger was directly responsible for. And most importantly, and this was the most important stat in the game, Ellinger didn't have a single turnover. And not only that, he didn't even have a single pass that particularly looked like a turnover. He has really cleaned up his game, and that bodes just very well for the Longhorns heading forward. They don't need somebody to go out there and win them games. They need somebody to not lose them games. And last year, he had to play a little bit of both roles, right? He threw a critical interception against USC. He threw a critical interception against Oklahoma State, both to directly lead to losses. But this year, he's really cleaned that up, and I really think that's... At the end of the day, when you look at Texas as a 5-1 football team, a team that's now number 9 in the AP Top 25, that's the reason. Because Sam Ellinger has cleaned things up. The defense is really its usual dominant self. Now against Oklahoma, you're going to give up points, you're going to give up yards. Texas did make this a little bit more interesting than it should have been. It was a 45-24 lead in the fourth quarter. And then Texas allows three really quick touchdowns to the Oklahoma Sooners, including a 67-yard breakaway by Kyler Murray. And we'll get to Kyler Murray in a second. But Oklahoma is able to get back into the football game. Overall, though, Texas's defense had a, really, had a nice day. They were able to cause some issues. And I mentioned turnovers, and I mentioned Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was able to have one of his usual games. He had 304 passing yards, four touchdowns, 92 rushing yards, and another touchdown. He also added five touchdowns, is what I'm saying, out of Oklahoma's 45 points. But Kyler Murray made a couple of mistakes down the stretch that ended up costing his team the football game. And, and granted, I don't want to be unfair to Kyler Murray. He is not the reason that they lost. But some of the mistakes that he made did end up contributing to that. Early in the game, he threw a terrible interception to Brandon Jones. I think he just didn't see Jones sitting under. Uh, because the pass went straight to him, uh, straight to Jones, that is. It, it was a bullet, too. It, was, it looked almost like a perfect completion to Brandon Jones. But Brandon Jones returned it for a little bit. I want to say Texas converted that into a touchdown. Later in the game, Texas got another touchdown because Kyler Murray had the ball, tried to steady himself by putting the ball on the ground, loses the football, fumbles the football, and Texas turns that into a touchdown. So 14 points given up right there by the, te uh, the Oklahoma offense just by Kyler Murray turning over the ball twice. And I mentioned, in a three-point football game, those two possessions loomed extremely large. And he felt that after the game. Kyler Murray was in tears after the game in the post-game interviews, really didn't want to answer any questions. Uh, a lot of people might have seen the clip going around of Sam Ellinger and Kyler Murray meeting after the game. Ellinger said he was just going over to say good game. Kyler Murray understandably emotional. This might be the only time he gets to play in this ball game since he 
of course, has an MLB contract waiting for him with the Oakland Athletics. But Ellinger was the better quarterback on this day. And that's really impressive. Who would have thought a season ago, earlier this year even, that Sam Ellinger would be outdueling Kyler Murray in one of the biggest games in college football? And this was. This was one of the biggest games in college football. It matched up a top 10 opponent versus a top 20 opponent. It matched up two historic programs, two programs that are used to winning at the highest level. And finally, for the first time in a couple of years, this game was able to reflect that. The crowd was absolutely unbelievable. Of course, people converge on the State Fair of Texas every single year in Fair Park to be able to go to this game. Tickets were retailing at something like $450 on average per our partner Ticket City. And look, I, I'm spoiled. I, I got to watch this game growing up. I got to go to the State Fair, walk by the stadium. I still have a towel in my room that commemorates the game happening. And I didn't get to go to that game. I'd never been to that game. I'd been to a lot of big games in college football, but I've never gotten to go to the Cotton Bowl to watch the Red River Showdown. And it completely lived up to the hype. The crowd is absolutely nuts. You have on one side, again, all burnt orange. On one other side, all crimson. And it's just, there's nothing like it. We had Craig Way on the program earlier this week to talk about just that experience of going and seeing the Red River Showdown. And he said that he wanted to sit right in the middle, right in the middle where the two sections meet, where there's an orange shirt on the left side, where there's a crimson shirt on the right side. He wants to hear those conversations, understand what that's like, and I, I understand him completely now. We were sort of seated right above that middle line. And you could see there was a little bit of crossover. There was a little bit of, uh, maybe I'm sitting here, you're sitting there. We're really close to each other. And Oklahoma fans uh, are actually really respectful. I, I got to go to a game a few years back uh, as a member of the rival team's fan base. And they were extremely friendly, extremely, uh, you know, they, they were very hospitable when I went up to, to Norman the one time as a fan. Texas fans also, you know, really great fans, really passionate fans. But again, these teams don't like each other. These fan bases don't like each other. They're each other's biggest rival right now, especially now that A&M has left the Big 12. It's, it's Texas and Oklahoma. It's been a few years since this game has had a whole bunch of juice. It's back. It's fully, fully back. And... Texas, now, where do they go from here? They put forward a great performance. Like I mentioned, Ellinger, five total touchdowns. Keontae Ingram, 86 yards um, on the ground. Really was able to do almost anything that he wanted on the ground. Average 6.6 yards per carry. Lil Jordan Humphrey was, I don't want to call him the breakout star of this game because he's had some fantastic games for Texas before. But nine catches, 133 yards, a touchdown. He also added a passing touchdown out of the Wildcat to Colin Johnson early in the game. Lil Jordan Humphrey was everywhere on the field, the Southlake Carroll product. And Texas, they're the winners. They get the spoils. Like I mentioned, Oklahoma was favored by eight points heading into this game. Oddsmakers thought that Oklahoma was going to be able to pull away because Oklahoma has pulled away from every single team this season, except for a weird game against Army, but I don't think you take a whole lot from it facing off against a triple option team. And not to talk about Oklahoma too much, because this is a Texas football-centric podcast, but Oklahoma's got some major issues defensively. They really do, because 
Texas was able to score almost at will. They didn't pass, or sorry, they didn't punt until the third quarter, I want to say. And that can't happen. You know, Texas is able to do some things, and, and all credit in the world goes to offensive coordinator, excuse me, not an offensive coordinator, offensive line coach Herb Hand at the University of Texas. He's taken a unit that was very shaky a year ago, and they look so much more cohesive, so much better. There are a couple new pieces in there, but not a lot of new pieces. It's mostly the same unit from last season, except for replace Connor Williams with Calvin Anderson. But Texas was able to clear space every single play. It was a huge performance for Texas in every single phase of the game. And where do they go from here? I was talking with, with one of my friends earlier, another journalist, and he, I was saying, where would Texas stand right now if they weren't if they weren't 5-1, and one, if they were 6-0 and oh and hadn't lost that game to Maryland. And they shouldn't have lost that game to Maryland. They were clearly a better team than Maryland. And they really outplayed them for most of the day, too. So if Texas is 6-0 and oh, with wins over three top 25 opponents, and great, TCU's not great, uh, USC, definitely not great. We'll, we'll maybe wait and see a little bit more on TCU. Oklahoma, we're pretty sure, is at least very good, at least a top 15 team, and Texas manages to hold them off. So where is Texas right now? You almost have to think maybe they're a top five team right now because Alabama, they're not passing Alabama. That's not happening. They probably have looked at least close to as good as Georgia, and their resume is a lot better. Um, Ohio State has the win over TCU, but that's their signature win, and they don't have a whole lot else. Clemson has looked shaky several times this season. I think you have to take Texas over Notre Dame for sure. Definitely over West Virginia. And those are all the undefeated teams left in the Power Five, plus Notre Dame. So is Texas number two? I I don't know whether Texas is number two. I think you have to come in with a certain level of expectations, with a certain level of implicit uh, credibility to be able to be number two in the country this early. But they're certainly in that top four to five conversation. And who would have thought that before the season? The path looks so much more manageable at this point than it did a few weeks ago because Texas has struggled in the Big 12 slate in in the previous couple of years. But now they have the loss to Maryland, of course, on their schedule. But 5-1, and they play against Baylor next week. That should be a win. On the road at Oklahoma State, the Cowboys look really bad this year. I think that that should easily be a win. The tough game is Texas versus West Virginia November 3rd. In Austin, though, so that's an advantage. They go on the road to Texas Tech. I think they can handle that. Host Iowa State. Sure, that should be fine. And then on the road at Kansas. So how many losses do you see on the rest of that schedule? Maybe one? And even that's a... Probably not. Texas should be favored in every game from here on out even when they host West Virginia, even though West Virginia right now has moved up to number six in the country, and and they deserve it after the way they've looked the first couple weeks. But Texas versus West Virginia is going to be one of the biggest games in college football. And honestly, whoever wins that Texas-West Virginia game, I'm comfortable saying right now that they are a lock to go to the Big 12 championship game. Again, these conversations are things that we didn't necessarily think we'd be having about Texas at this point in the season. But the way that they've looked against Oklahoma, against TCU, against USC, it really is time to treat them as one of the Big 12's best teams, if not the best team in the Big 12. Uh, I was somewhat reserved on Texas just because 
USC, I really don't think is very good this year. They're extremely young. TCU, uh, Sean Robinson is a complete... You don't know what you're going to get from him. So I was a little bit hesitant on that. But I know Oklahoma's good. I know Oklahoma is good. I know that they have talent on offense. I know that they can score on anybody. And I know that 45 points sounds like a lot. But funnily enough, that's what Texas needed to hold them to. And they scored enough on the other end to make it worth their while. Just a total tremendous performance. Full team effort from Texas. And now, who, who knows where we go from here? Certainly higher than I think that anybody expected heading into the season. From one game against a ranked opponent to another game against a ranked opponent, Texas A&M, what a weird game against Kentucky. Kentucky decided early in the game that when Texas A&M decided that they were going to contain the run, they just were going to give up on it. Kentucky has one of the best running backs in the entire country, Benny Snell, the SEC leader in rushing yards, big-time touchdown machine. He's been the catalyst behind uh, Kentucky winning a whole ton of games, but Texas A&M managed to scheme them out of giving the ball to him. Terry Wilson, uh, Kentucky's quarterback, is not very good. He's really not very good as a passer. In fact, he finished with 108 yards, but 54 came on one broken play. So if you take away those 54 yards, he finishes with 54 yards, finishes with 2.8 yards per, uh, per pass attempt. And some people were telling me, well, before Kentucky, or before A&M, rather, went into a prevent defense and kind of allowed Benny Snell to run wild, he was only averaging about 3.7 yards per carry. And that's not very good. That's not what he's usually doing. But when your quarterback is giving you 2.8 yards per pass attempt, oh man, you have to make something happen there. You just have to. You have to give the ball to your best player. The most unforgivable thing that, uh, that Eddie Grand, the Kentucky offense coordinator, did was he, he had a third and two. A third and two with basically the game on the line in overtime. And he decides to send Terry Wilson to drop back to pass it. You have the best running back in the whole dang SEC. How are you not handing the ball off to your running back? How are you not handing the ball off to Benny Snell? If he doesn't get it, then he doesn't get it. But you put the ball in your best player's hands. I don't care what AM was showing defensively. You call something in the run game and just say, hey, Benny Snell, just go do the dang thing. It, just do it. I, I don't understand that call. It's an astonishing one. Kellen Mond, pretty good against, uh, against Kentucky's stout defense. 226 yards passing, two touchdowns. Did have an interception, but that's okay. Trayvon Williams, it was a big breakout game for him against a good opponent. Kentucky coming to this game at number 13. He had 24 carries for 138 yards and a touchdown. So A&M was able to get a decent amount going offensively. Managed to hold things together pretty much defensively. I mean, Kentucky only finished with 178 offensive yards. That's <laughs> I don't think I need to, to tell you, but that's not very good. So A&M, pretty good overall team performance. It went to overtime just because Texas A&M had a late fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Otherwise, A&M play, uh, outplayed them. It should have been a 14-7 ball game. And 14-7 doesn't sound like the greatest sort of win, but when you're playing a defense that's as good as Kentucky's, and Kentucky is legitimately a top five, top ten type of defense in the country, not just the SEC, in the whole country. If you can hold them to seven points and win 14-7, to seven, you take that every single day of the week. 
And now Texas and Texas A&M are the only two teams from the state of Texas ranked in the AP Top 25. As I mentioned, Texas moves up to number nine in the polls. A&M comes back in at number 22. They're second among two lost teams, only behind Auburn and ahead of Mississippi State, who's also ranked. And we mentioned Texas A&M, they have two wins, or sorry, two losses over the number one team in the country and the number four team in the country. It's not that bad. It's not that serious. So this was a big barometer game for me, uh, for Texas A&M, because I sort of saw it as, look, we've seen Texas A&M play well against good teams, but not win. We've seen Texas A&M play okay against bad teams. Okay, what do, we, what do you take from that? This was the first time that Kentucky's a pretty good team. They're not a great team. They're probably not deserving of number 13 in the country, but certainly deserve to be ranked. So what was A&M going to do? What were they going to do against a team that's about their level? And the answer was play pretty well, right? They managed to do just enough. I know it went to overtime, but it shouldn't have gone to overtime. There was no sense in, in it going to overtime. They just made a late mistake. And, and late mistakes happen, but the fact that they were able to overcome it and come away with a victory against a very good Kentucky team, as I mentioned, that's good. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, that was a weird beat because AM was favored by six points heading into this game. If the game ends 14-7, to 7, they cover. But since it ends up being a six-point game, well, I sure hope you don't, uh, I sh this is why you don't gamble, folks. This is why you especially don't gamble on college football, because that, that game ends up being a push. I guess you don't lose any money, but, and I really, really should have, uh, ended up covering against Kentucky. So, hey, but for our purposes, that means I don't pick up a loss. So, I will take that. <laughs> Just kind of jumping around the rest of, of college football. UTSA played Rice. They looked very impressive. 20-3 to is the final. Rice was actually favored heading into this game. But UTSA forces four turnovers against uh, the Owls and managed to hold them to just 2.3 yards per carry, which is very impressive against Rice's offense. They really want to try to body you offensively. So good win for UTSA. They won three straight games. UNT versus UTEP. This is a, such a weird football game. 27-24 is the final. I don't know what's wrong with UNT. I really don't know what's wrong with UNT. Because a week ago, they play against Louisiana Tech they take an early lead. I want to say that the lead was, uh, I think it might have been 21-6 to six in the second half. They gave up a whole bunch of points in the fourth quarter. Just can't put four quarters together. Something similar happened against, uh, against UTEP. They were up 20-10, to 10 and UTEP manages to get some more points on the board. This game shouldn't have been close. UTEP is still the worst team in college football. They've lost 18 consecutive games, UTEP has. UNT is supposed to be the new favorite in Conference USA, but in two Conference USA performances, it's a two-point loss against Louisiana Tech. It's a three-point win over UTEP on the road. UNT, they just have to do a little bit more. They have to be more consistent. And again, I, I don't know. Is something wrong? I don't know what's wrong with them right now. Uh, we'll have to see whether they can rebound next week. SMU plays against UCF. They were 24-point underdogs, and they lose by 28. The interesting thing for SMU is that they were able to move the ball offensively at a decent level, but they used both quarterbacks, Will Brown and Ben Hicks. Hicks finished as the game leader in, uh, in pass attempts, which was a little unusual, but granted, there was a whole ton of garbage time because UCF, 
one of the best teams in all of college football. Texas State playing against Louisiana Lafayette. They lose 42-27, to but there are actually some encouraging signs to take from this game. Tyler Vitt, the young quarterback, he finishes with 296 passing yards and three touchdowns and also adds 92 yards on the ground. He's not supposed to be their dual threat guy, but he was able to do just enough against Louisiana. And granted, let's be clear, this game was never really that close because Louisiana went up 28-0 at halftime, but Texas State manages to pull things together, score 27 second half points, and hey, this is the first kind of halfway decent offensive performance that Texas State is able to have this season, so that's encouraging heading forward. Losing to Louisiana Lafayette, that's a team they're supposed to lose to. So Texas State maybe finds a little bit of life at least. Next up, Houston played Tulsa on Thursday night. They win 41-26 in a game that really shouldn't have been this close. But De'Aaron King had a couple of turnovers uh, that really kept the game much closer than they should have been. He did finish the day with five touchdowns because that's just what De'Aaron King does. He's one of the best quarterbacks that nobody is talking about at this point. Um, but again, Houston... Not very consistent uh, offensively. They need to get something more consistent going. But still, they're able to handle Tulsa no problem. Kind of an interesting fact. Uh, Kendall Bryles is, of course, the offense coordinator at Houston. He was facing off against Tulsa, who their head coach, Phil Montgomery, was the former offensive coordinator at Baylor before Kendall Bryles. So Houston is a much more complete team, obviously, than Tulsa. And Montgomery might not have a whole lot of time left after having a couple of pretty bad seasons and really bad offenses, which is the more surprising thing, but Houston manages to pull away 41-26, to and the school where they both came from, Baylor manages to pick up their fourth win of the season, 37-34 to against Kansas State. Kicker Connor Martin nails a field goal with just eight seconds remaining to, to eventually uh, help Baylor win this football game, but talk about bad beats. They were favored by four points, they win by three points. So, unfortunately, I don't get any credit for picking them right against the spread. But Baylor's rushing game did look a whole lot better. Um, even though John Lovett and Jamichael Hasty both went out, Lovett was out before the game, Hasty went out midway through the game, Tristan Ebner, the third-string running back, had a fantastic game, a 100-yard performance. Craig Williams, the, the true freshman back who had never played a game, only has two carries, but it's a 14-yard run for a first down a 21-yard rush for a touchdown. His nickname, it's kind of its kind of weird. He calls himself Squirrel, right? And, and okay, Squirrel, that's kind of funny. But he spells it, I want to say it's S-Q-W-I-R-L. So he's Squirrel. I don't know. You'll have to keep an eye on that one heading forward. That's kind of how he prefers to go, actually. He prefers to go by Squirrel Williams. So we'll have to see whether <laughs> Baylor puts that on the roster heading forward. But he, whew. He moves like a squirrel. He moves so fast. He's, he's really special. But Baylor picks up the fourth win. Bull eligibility is possible. They only need two more. I don't know if they're going to get to two, but they can get to one at least. And then after that, who knows? Well, with those games, A&M was a push. So it was a six-point line. They win by six. Baylor, again, one-point beat. I didn't actually pick the Houston game because it was happening on Thursday and I know that you might not have listened to the podcast before then, so I didn't pick it. But with a 3-3 three and three record, I moved to 12-11 and 11 in the last couple weeks. You know what? I'm not losing you money, so I'll at least give you that. 
<laughs> I don't know how much that's exactly worth, but I'm not losing you money at this point. <laughs> we can't get out of here, though, without talking about the best game of the weekend. And I know that Texas-Oklahoma happened, but there was one more exciting game that happened in the state of Texas weekend. Number nine, Texas A&M Commerce. The Division II defending national champions take down heated rival number four Midwestern State 20 to 19. And 20 to 19 sounds exciting in terms of the end of the game. And it was even crazier than you could have ever imagined. Texas A&M Commerce came into this game as underdogs because they have a loss on their schedule to Colorado State Pueblo. So Midwestern State, they're playing at home. They're feeling good about it. They feel like they have a chance to win this football game. Unfortunately, at the beginning, and this game has major national ramifications at the Division II level, before this game, there's a lot of storming. They were weather delayed at one point. They come back out. They finish the half. It's 10-10. And then at that point, they decide, no, we can't continue this game. The weather's too bad. We're too delayed. We're going to have to call this game a no contest. But you can't call Texas A&M Commerce versus Midwestern State a no contest. These are two programs that hate each other just as much as Texas and OU do, except at the Division II level. And on top of that, there are major national ramifications to this football game. If Midwestern State wins, they have a great shot to move up to number one overall in the polls because they'd have a better win than anybody else on the schedule. Commerce, already with a loss on their schedule, they're the defending national champions, but to stay alive and have a chance to go and play in the playoffs and compete for another national championship, they have to win this game too. They have to get right back in the thick of things. So instead of a no contest, at the last minute they decide, okay, we're not doing a no contest. We're going to go down the road to Denton, Texas, play at Apogee Stadium, home of the North Texas Mean Green. We're going to finish this game the next day at 2 p.m. So both teams come out, and again, the, the game is tied at 10-10 at the half. Both teams come out, and their defenses are still just on fire. Midwestern State scores a touchdown in the third quarter. AM Commerce has a field goal. AM Commerce... They score a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Midwestern State picks up a safety after AM Commerce has a snap sail over their punter's head for a safety. This game is 20 to 19, only a couple minutes left. Midwestern State has a great opportunity to win this football game. They go down the field, they have a shot at a field goal with 324 remaining in the fourth quarter. And Commerce gets a hand on it and manages to block the 39-yard uh, attempt. But that's not all. Commerce can't get into the end zone, can't get points on the board again. It's still a one-point ball game. Midwestern State is driving down the field. They're so close to a touchdown. They decide, we've got to settle for a 30-yard field goal. Now, a 30-yard field goal, that's an easy field goal. That's a field goal that you have to make. A whole lot. That's, that's a chip shot. Midwestern State's kicker misses the field goal. As time expires, Texas A&M Commerce wins for the first time in the last six tries at Midwestern State's field. And granted, I guess it wasn't really at Midwestern State's field because they're playing in Denton. But Texas A&M Commerce 
they have new life after winning this football game. It was a thrilling finish. We had our correspondent Corey Hogue there. Check out his work and his story from TexasFootball.com. Absolutely tremendous performance. What a game. What a game. You can't just pay attention to these, t- uh, to these top Power 5 teams when you're paying attention to Texas college football. You have to pay attention to the group of five. You have to pay attention to the FCS. You have to pay attention to D2 and D3. And by that token, the state of Texas will host the FCS title game this year. It'll be held in Frisco, Texas, as usual, at, at Toyota Stadium. They'll host the Division Three National Championship. That's going to be held in Shenandoah, Texas, outside of Houston. And it was announced last week they will also hold the Division Two National Championship, this time at McKinney ISD Stadium in McKinney, Texas. So you have to pay attention to all of these teams. Let's all hope that we have a Lone Star Conference team here in the Metroplex in a couple weeks, or I guess a couple months, rather, in the Division Two National title game. December 15th, I want to say, is when it is. December 15th, I think I've got that right. Midwestern State has a chance. Tarleton State has a chance to get back into the mix. A&M Commerce. Lots of time left. But you can't just pay attention to, to the small games or, or to the big games. You have to pay attention to all of the games. If you like small colleges, though, Corey Hilgar, correspondent, has you covered. Find his work on textfootball.com. He was a guest on last week's show. He was absolutely tremendous. You can find our small colleges recap every week on TexasFootball.com, and I will I will highly recommend them. They are the most informative thing on Texas small football that you are going to find out there. Anyway, everyone, thank you so much for joining us this week. It was an absolutely fantastic time. Uh, again, Texas, on top of the Texas State football world, once again, Texas A&M Commerce, they're right in the thick of things once again for the Division II crown. So many exciting games happening across the state. Such an exciting time to be a part of Texas college football. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter, at Shahan J. Raja. That's at, ready for it? S-H-E-H-A-N-J-E-Y-A-R-A-J-A-H. Follow us on Twitter, at DCTF. Find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. And we'd like to give another quick thank you to North Texas Honda dealers. North Texas Honda dealers, they're here to help. There's nobody like North Texas Honda dealers. Like I always mention, I bought my car from North Texas Honda dealers, and they weren't even paying my company money at the time when I did it. So absolutely fantastic people. I recommend them without, you know, without any sort of sponsorship. Thank you so much again for joining us. We'll be back on Wednesday to talk more Texas college football. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys real soon.